Hello, 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 hello. That's how the Three Stooges used to say hello. Welcome, episode 27 of the Just Joe podcast. Oh, like I said, it feels good to be back. Uh, I've loved the episode so far. I've, uh, I've got some great guests lined up, especially today's. I'm really excited about speaking with today's guest. I just want you guys to know that uh, I'm having fun. I'm hoping you guys are enjoying this. And when I say guys, I mean guys and gals. It's a, a blanket term that I use. Dudes and dudettes. Uh, this is going to be a musician's podcast. Last week was a mental health one. Um, I'm bringing in my friend Lonnie Park. Lonnie Park is a, a well-established musician, not only here in the central New York area, uh, he's from the Cortland and Ithaca area, uh, but this man has been around the world, literally, literally around the world, uh, performs regularly in places like India, which we'll get into. Uh, he's worked with some of the biggest names in rock and roll, uh, some side guys here and there. Um, you're going to, we're going to have a really interesting conversation. I'm, I don't want to preface too much stuff other than he's a badass and him and I have become buddies over the past few years. And I thought, man, it's time to sit down and talk with him. I also want to put it out there that I am looking for a sponsor or two or three, whatever. I'm looking for sponsors for this show uh, to help cover the production costs for myself and also my producer, who you don't see or hear, Mr. Cody Mack from K-Rock. He's the one doing all of this behind the scenes. And also Josh to K-Rock for making sure this gets up on all the platforms. So if you guys are interested, interested, interested in sponsoring this podcast, this is where I would probably talk about your sponsorship. Also a sponsorship in the middle of the podcast. And again, at the end, also across the social media. So if you know anybody might be interested in advertising on this platform, you let me know. All right, there's my spiel about a spiel for a spiel. How does that make sense? Everybody, let's just get into the conversations. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my friend, Lonnie Park. Lonnie Park. How's it going, brother? Going on, man. You know, the same old thing I do every day, sitting here in front of Six big screens and a mixing board and a keyboard and <laughs> <laughs> microphone and clicking and dragging all day. Oh man, it's that's the one thing I don't like is the the whole editing process and I just want to be done and have someone else do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't like doing that part. But I mean, yeah, when yeah. you when you get good at it, then you get. That's the thing. When I first started uh, getting in the recording, and I went to recording school. And they're like, if you can learn how to edit and do all this stuff, you are going to get jobs like crazy because no one wants to do this shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so. Yeah. But uh, I've already done like a formal intro and then we'll just talk. And then the guy that produces all this will chop it all apart and put it together again. So, yeah, I bought, the, I bought this really, you know, how, you know how hard it is to record a phone call? Do you realize how hard it is? to record <laughs> i've never tried well like you figure with all this technology and apple and all that stuff i could record a phone call because i use pro logic you know logic pro and right. i was like well there's got to be a way to do this i have you know thousands of dollars of equipment i can't record a thing and everyone's like dude it's impossible it was all this workaround so then i went and bought road uh, it's called you know road you know the microphones all that shit they make a yeah, thing yeah. called the roadcaster pro and it's literally a podcasting mixing board and ah. it's got, you know, four channels in with microphones and then it has a Bluetooth and it c- captures everything you do Bluetooth wise. 
and puts it in there and then sends it out a USB into, then that throws it into logic. Then I record it, or you can record it multi-track into the, the roadcaster itself. So you can take it anywhere and record, you know, four people talking at once. So, oh, right on. so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to buy the 600 piece, $600 piece of equipment and just add it to all. I mean, dude, you're probably buying shit all the time, right? Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Or new software or like plugins, you know, it's not like gear anymore. So. No. So. Back in the day we had, you know, I had racks that were six feet tall and I had three or four of them side by side full of gear. Yeah. Now, you know, you're constantly swapping shit out and now it's all in the box. So like I'm constantly buying gear, but when you when you go to use it, it's a picture on your screen. No, it's crazy. <laughs> Bizarre. Man. Well, we're talking with that. Cause this, we'll edit this all around, but like, do you feel that you get, I mean, you've been recording long enough. Like, do you feel that like you get the same sounds and what you need out of something that's virtual as opposed to something you were touching the knobs with? You know, you know it's so, it's so close and sometimes better in some senses because you know, some of those pieces of gear were noisy in a good way, and some of them were noisy in a bad way. You know, just like 60 cycle hum being bounced at you, and you had to figure out how to get rid of it. And the right. plugins are just, you know, they're just cleaner in that sense. And they might not be exact to the original um, piece of rack gear or whatever piece of gear you're doing, but it's so close that having it in the box. And for example, you know, let's say you and I come in here and we do a session today. And I record the whole thing and I use all plugins and I get all my settings just right to sound perfect for just Joe. And then you go away and you come back two years later and you just want to replace one line. I don't have to guess where all the knobs were, <laughs> you know, that's crazy. I just pull up the presets and it's done and it sounds exactly the same. Well, we do now, stuff like that all the time. Now, let, now let's jump back. Lonnie is a musician located out of, are you in Ithaca or Cortland, right? You're in, in that area, oh, right, right? Right in between in a little town called Freeville. Yeah, exactly. So, and Lonnie's been doing this for probably longer than he cares to admit. And he's not only a musician, <laughs> composer, producer, you name it. And, you know, what, what's the name of the studio? Castle Barn? Uh, Barncastle. Barncastle. Barncastle Studios. Right. And you record yeah. a bunch down there with yourself and other artists and stuff like that. So now we're sitting here talking, you know, you know, boring gear stuff. So if you guys are like, what are they talking about? It's like, this is what we're talking <laughs> about. We're talking about studio. This is the little things that make that happen. Because I remember one time in a recording studio, we were recording with a guy. I don't want to mention his name, <laughs> but like he we were doing everything to tape and you know, this is, we're in the 21st century. So we were like, we want to do everything to eight, you know, for, to, to tape. We want to do, you know, just like old school. And he didn't have total, he didn't have recall on his board. Right. All right. Uh, right. So we needed him to really fix something. The final mix was done and we're like, dude, this is glaring. We need it fixed. And he was like, bah, 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 we can't do this. And we're like, I'm like, dude, did you not write down? Like, cause Back in the day, for anybody who doesn't know, like when you got done with a recording session, the producer, the artist would all leave and then some, en you know, assistant engineer or little apprentice or an intern would have to come in and look at that giant board. If you guys ever look at a recording studio board, you see, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 channels. That guy would literally, literally have to sit there, go channel by channel and draw, you know, or diagram every channel. 
And then oh, yeah, one, and each channel has like 30 knobs and they're all set differently. <laughs> right. So great. he had to do all those things, you know, so that when you came back in, then that guy would be there an hour and a half before everyone else the next day or the next session, putting all that stuff back together. Now, this guy didn't do that. And we're like, dude, you got to do it. And then he finally admitted I didn't put anything down. We're like, dude, now well, you're going to have to go back. And he's like, it's going to take me hours. I'm like, well, we don't care. You have to fix it. Well, that. even then, you know, for, for complete nerds like us that really are into gear and, and the exact precision of sound, even then that guy would go back in and he'd change all those hundreds of knobs. And all it takes, you know, let's say one knob was set at 10 o'clock and he accidentally sets it at 9 o'clock or just a little bit off according to the picture or whatever. You know, overall, you combine that across the board and all of a sudden everything sounds just a little different than it did yesterday. <laughs> Dude, it's like, why is it not quite something? We could go down such a, 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 such a rabbit hole with this, but uh, oh, I do yeah. want to talk about your career. I mean, <clears throat> you've been doing this a long time. You've been, you know, how long have you been, you say a professional musician? Like, this is what I do. This is how I earn my living, or at least this is what I'm trying to do to earn my living. Well, I just say I've, I've been a professional musician in in the sense that I've been in the music business making my living since I was 19. Um, and I'm 52 now. So and do that math. But, you know, part of, part of being in the music industry for me is, and this is something I'm seeing you're doing brilliantly right now is constant adaptation to the opportunities in front of you. Yes. So if you want to be in the music business, you can't, it's, you can, but it's hard to just be one thing. Yes. You have to redirect and you have to expand your skill sets and constantly be uh, looking for opportunities. And, and for me at 19, I started playing and getting paid. Um, but I was also working in music retail in a music store called Neo Music. And, and eventually that led to, you know, I've, I've got a family and I've got to support them somehow. And just playing gigs isn't going to do it. No. And recording sessions at that time, I had my studio, but it wasn't enough to buy a house and support a family. So um, with a partner, we opened up a music store in Cortland, New York. And in that store was a giant recording facility and um, also a pro audio division. And I pretty much ran the recording studio on the pro audio division and then helped in the store as much as I could. And so I adapted that way while constantly recording and you know, so as a, as you go, it's been music retail plus performance plus studio. Yeah. And that, that evolved into producing and session work and all kinds of stuff. That's, that's what it is. And I, I, I get a lot of young musicians like, I want to do what you do. And I'm like, well, what, what exactly do you want to do? Because I, what you're seeing here at a gig is only a part of like a larger monster. Like, I mean, all of us would love to like have that big album breakthrough and that that's all you do is that one project. But for the true working musician, you are wearing 10 different hats and sometimes at the same time. So you yeah. got it. You got to constantly in you were you were adapting and flowing with the business a lot sooner than most because that was a different time. You know, the, the, the late eighties and the early nineties was a completely different music business than we see now. But what you were yeah. doing then completely applies like the principle of like, Hey, just keep evolving, keep evolving you're still doing that. And you were doing that at that time, which is probably a testament of why you're still doing what you're doing. You know? Well, the, the one thing I noticed is that those who complained versus adapt stayed right where they were. <laughs> yeah. an, an example of that is 
you know, remember you and I are old enough to remember when we were making a lot of money selling albums. Yeah. And then all of a sudden everybody could download your music for free. Yep. And so your, your main source of income went away. And there were so many guys that just sat there and got mad and, and they're like this, you know, the, the internet's killing the music business and basically just stood there waiting for it to come back and it's not coming back. <laughs> I know you still see, you still see these articles on blabbermouth and PRP and all these like, you know, rock sites and you're always seen once a week, some old guy, you know, or some older dude or band just complain, well, oh, yeah, we got a million plays in Spotify and all we got is 10 cents and blah, blah, blah. And they're just constantly complaining, you know, all this stuff. It's like, listen, man, I'm cool. You know, the horse and buggy were a way of getting around the, you know, getting around town, but we're not pining to go back to that. You evolve, you got into a goddamn car, you know, it's like find a way around it. And if you're complaining right. about a million plays on Spotify and you're getting 17 cents, you should go back and look at that fucking record contract you signed many years ago because you got hosed up the ass, you know, because <laughs> if you and I, if you and I were, were, you know, if you and I as an independent artist got a million plays, on Spotify, we would get a lot more than 17 cents. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know? So, I mean, yeah. those people, you can find all that, but it's like, you just have to find other ways. The people that really got hurt in that more than anything was the, not only the artists, but you know, the record companies, that was the only way they made money was CD right. sales. So then all of a sudden they had to change like, okay, how are we going to make our money by doing these with these artists? So that was like, that was really the, the yeah. shocker, you know? You know, I, and I think you, you hit a good point there. It's like a lot of times as independent artists and, you know, the general media busts on record companies as being the evil money stealing organization, which, you know, they earned. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Of a lot of people. But at the same time, it was the big machine that allowed artists to break. And after the record uh, industry just collapsed, everybody was like, well, now we're all on the same playing field yeah you know how do we break artists again and fortunately most of the the, the labels uh, consolidated or found a way and now they're they're still breaking artists but yeah. um you know, we, we found a new way. There's a new model. There's a new oh, way yeah. of doing things. It's, re it's really down to niches now. And this is a conversation that I had the last A&R guy that we had when we were on Century Media Records with Brand New Sin. And him and I were having a conversation. We were trying to renegotiate the deal, but, you know, our band was kind of falling apart at that point. And him and I remained friends. And I'm like, what do you see? What's going to happen? You know, what's going to happen in the future? And he's just like, you know what, man? He goes, it's all about niches. He goes, when it comes to now, he goes, I see in 10 years now, just niches thriving. He goes, you're going to see bands get huge that you don't even know about. They're going to be playing yep. sold out shows that you don't even know about. Like before you knew every artist, whether you listened to him or not, you knew about it, but because it's all going to be niches and he get, equated it because he was a huge um, um, fan of anime, Japanese anime. And he's like, he goes, there's millions of people that watch anime. Do you watch anime? I'm like, no, he's like, you have no clue about it. He goes, but there's a whole world of this That's anime so true, man. and there's niches when the anime He goes, music is headed in that same direction. He is still in the music business, this A&R guy, and he's running a very successful label called Prosthetic Records when it comes to very intense, you know, metal, very thriving label, man. And he saw the future, you know, and, and, and that conversation really stuck with me. It's like, man, stop trying to, like, get to MTV or these big radio stations because they don't, they don't exist anymore. Like, 
find your niche yeah. and then cultivate yeah. that niche and cultivate it. And just, if, even if it's a hundred people cultivate it so that every time you put something out, those hundred people are going to buy a CD for 10 bucks. That's a thousand bucks for you. Thousand bucks. You know, yep. he's cultivating that, you know, and you, you know, I mean, it's evolution, you know, yes. the industry is evolving and the first person in the music business, when there's a big change, the first first ones to evolve opposable thumbs, so to speak, is the, are the ones that are going to propel forward and do well. Yeah. And, and those that just kind of hold still and wait for somebody else to lead, they're going to be holding still for a long time. Yeah. I mean, you really wonder, cause you and I grew up in this middle transition where we went from, you know, music was recorded on the tape and then music now is all in what we call the box. You're recording inside of a computer. I mean, some yep. studios, I don't know if you do, but like, you know, subcat studios, they don't even have a board anymore. Everything, even the board is in the box. You know, you're not even touching faders anymore. You know, right. Every, uh, all the faders that I have are virtual. They're not, a, there's no actual signal. Yeah. Pass. You're not touching anything. So like you wonder, like we, we saw, we got to see both sides of it or the transition to here. But I'm thinking of mm-hmm. someone like my daughter who comes into my studio all the time and watches me dub stuff. And she knows how to kind of navigate around all this stuff. Can you imagine what in 10 or 15 years when these kids are like in this realm, we're already starting to see bands that are doing that. that everybody's do, just doing everything in their house and their little bedrooms with this technology oh, yeah. that like back in the day would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to record and do, and they're doing it like second nature. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's a whole, I mean, you talk about rabbit holes, that's a whole, we could go down and that again, it really comes to perspective. There's, 14-year-old girls in their bedroom with their iPhones singing to a Casio that are getting millions of downloads and millions of views on YouTube. Yeah, that's my daughter. My uh, daughter watches, um, she watches a lot of YouTube videos and she's really into playing Roblox and, and, and there's these whole, there's this thing called Gotcha Life and there's these kids that are making like music videos with these animated characters, but then using these music songs that they're finding from other artists that are on like TikTok and all that stuff. And she's introduced yeah. me to this, um, this whole world. This is amazing pop music. I'm like, who is this? Then I go down the rabbit hole and it's some girl that you just said, like this one girl that she listens to, she was a 14 year old girl, literally recording, you know, stuff in her room, putting up on TikTok, and she blew up, you know, yeah. I'm like, Whoa, I'm yeah. like, I didn't even know about this. You know, like this girl's literally got like 35 million plays on spot just on Spotify alone. And I'm like, I've, I don't even know who this person is, you know? So I think we've seen that basically the industry when when the big, big giant labels stopped having full control over what we're listening to, because you can listen to anything you want nowadays. Yeah. Then every genre split into a bunch of genres. And it's just like you said, there's huge stars that you'll never hear of. Yeah. which to me is a concept that's really hard to wrap your head around, which is kind of, this is a segue into where I want to talk about is like, I mean, you've had, we'll talk about some other stuff that you've done in your career, but like one of the things that you, you've been, you're a grant, you're a Grammy nominated artist. You're the second Grammy nominated artist I've had on my podcast. First one being Matt Byrne from the band hate breed. And now you, and that was in 2013, 2014, if I remember correctly. Yes. 20, 2013. Yeah. Yeah. And what now, but what was that for? You know, well, that was that was for a instrumental contemporary instrumental album, I guess, is the official genre. Right. Which is kind of like it's not smooth jazz. It's not full on like Branford and Marcellus kind of jazz. 
uh, it's instrumental music. It's kind of like pop songs where you're, you're playing instruments for the melodies instead of vocals. All right. Like right. How, how did you get to the Grammy nomination from the instrumental thing? Like lead us up to how, how it was to the Grammy nomination. Cause that's well, not that, something that, that happens every day. It was a crazy experience, man. Cause you know, I'm doing music all day, every day, yeah. just recording, recording, recording. And I have a lot of people that I collaborate with and I had done an acid loop library. I'll fast forward through this quickly with a friend of mine um, who now makes movies. And acid loops are these things where people can buy you performing um, on a piano or a guitar and they can use you in their own music. That's simplifying it. And this guy in Singapore bought the loop library to start writing some music with. And he reached out to me and said, man, I really love the way you play. Would you like to do this record with me? I was like, sure. So I did the record. It was called Rumba Doodle. That contemporary instrumental album. A bunch of great people played on it from all over the world. Um, and then when the record was done, we did high fives. The album came out. I moved on to the other six records I was doing and kind of forgot about it for a year. And a year later, I get a phone call from Singapore and he's like, Hey, man, remember that record we did? I said, you betcha. Well, it was just nominated for a Grammy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, boy, that that turned up the heat and went back through my archives and listened again. I was like, oh yeah, that was a really good record. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> there wasn't even like a fo- like a main focus. He was like, it was hey, it's just a project, you know. And that's that's the thing. I'm starting to get this way because in the world of Twitch, I'm starting to meet all these other artists, and we're talking about collaborations and writing together and everything else. So it's kind of going down that road and I'd be like, hey man, remember that? Like, oh yeah, well, it's done really well. <laughs> You know, all of a sudden a check will show up at your door and be like, Hey, what does this check for $25,000 for, you know? So, but that's what you do. You just, Chris Stapleton said it once he was on Joe Rogan's podcast and he was just saying, he's like, well, Rogan's like, well, how did you get to where you were? And he's like, well, I don't know, man. He goes, I was in a room and and a door opened and I ran through that door and then I was in that room and then another door opened and I ran through that door and I just kept running through doors. And I guess I ended up here, you know, it's like, he was just, you know, the doors of opportunity because you don't stop oh, yeah. taking them and you just run through them and you never know what door is going to take you, especially in a business like this. So like, but did did you get to go to the Grammys for something like that? Because that's something they're probably giving away at like four in the afternoon while everyone's still at the bar. Right. Yeah, there's, there's um there's actually two Grammy ceremonies. One's televised, one's not. Right. And you know the one that's not televised is where they give away the most Grammys, and then the televised one they only give away you know what, eight ten Grammys total. Right. And that's a lot of performance stuff. And you know there's they give out a whole bunch of Grammys every year, and so yeah we and we've gone every year since, which I'll explain why later. But yeah. Uh, so that first year we went and there we were. I had no idea how good my seats were that year because we were nominees. Um, we didn't win, but it's all cool, man. It was just such a surreal experience. Yeah, just an experience. Cause yeah. Cause I've had a lot of friends, you know, in, in the genres and stuff that we were in brand new sin that were nominated, you know, handfuls of my friends and they were all like, dude, we didn't win, but man, we got to go and, 
they, we got to walk oh, down yeah. the red carpet, you know, even though there wasn't yeah. really anybody there, there was a few people taking photos of us and stuff like that. He goes, it's just something he goes, even if we didn't win or didn't, we got to be a part of something that like very, very few people ever get to, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a phenomenal experience. Now here's, here's the thing I love the most about that experience specifically here. I grew up in Freeville and I've, I've done some touring and I've saw, done, I've seen the world a bit and done a lot of heavy metal records and, Something really cool stuff. But as far as like breaking into that circle of industry musicians I've been trying to work with my whole career, that was, that was, I didn't even know where to begin. <laughs> and after 2013, all of a sudden here I am standing at the Grammys and meeting all these incredible like-minded people. And they said, you know, are you a part of the recording Academy? And I was like, no, They're like, well, why the hell not? <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't even know what it is. I don't what even is, know. Like, where do I sign up? Like, is, there, is it yeah. a secret handshake? How do I get in? You know? Yeah. So they referred me to become a part of the recording Academy. And then I became a voting member and part of the um, producers and engineers wing of the recording Academy. And all of a sudden, I mean, literally within six months now, I'm collaborating with this giant pile of musicians. Half of them have won Grammys. Um, and, the level of talent was just off the charts. And so now it's all just kind of snowballed into working with more and more people right now. I think I have eight different albums going with collaborators. (laughs) Well, it's a crazy thing, but like before COVID hit, and I'm sure we'll talk about what's happened kind of since then, but like before then you were always like, I'm on a flight, I'm flying to India to play a show in India. You know, did that all come about because of that initial snowball that we're just talking about. Yeah. Is that how no, just like Stapleton said, you know, a door opens, you run through it. Yeah. And you know, that essentially life gives you equity. What do you do it? Yeah. You know, to me, every time life gave me some equity, I, I tried to spend all of it and see what I, where I could go and what I could do. And, and meeting all these people at the, in the recording Academy and at the Grammys and then, later on just communicating with them all and becoming friends uh, it just led to really good relationships and one of those relationships is a guy named Ricky Cage who's a Grammy winner from India And he and I started um, actually doing jingles for Toyota and GE and some other company. That uh, isn't. Aren't, you know, side, side note: Isn't are jingles? I'm I'm just getting into that world because some guy just found me on YouTube like a month ago, and I've written a few jingles. But like this guy has a company, and he's hired me for three jingles so far, and he keep the company keeps loving. Them. I'm doing more jingles. They're hard. They're way harder than writing a song, man. Isn't that funny, man? It's like it's the hardest thing people. I've ever done. But yeah, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead, man. I want to hear more. So Right. Well, I mean, it's just like you're saying, you know, you're branding the company, essentially. Yeah. You know, how many commercials do we sing along with that we heard when we were kids, you know, from McDonald's to whatever? Anyway, we started, we were doing these commercials together, and then we started writing music together for each other's albums. And then he, he was, uh, after he won the Grammy, he became a superstar in India and the president of India, Modi 
invited him in and Ricky is a big conservationist, environmentalist, and I'm concerned about climate change and some other things. And the president said, you know what? You should do music for the environment. We'd like you to do an album that talks about all these things. So we did an album. That album was launched at the Paris Climate Accord. Um, and then right then, Ricky and I were just really collaborating heavily. And next thing you know, everything takes off over there. And they start asking us to play live. So... I know that what we wish for simply can't come true Unless we make it happen together, me and you A wish remains a wish, the dream is still a dream I'm the front man of the band, I sing and play guitar and half the time I don't play guitar at all I'm just out there trying to get the crowd going and running around the stage and, and that took off and next thing you know we're playing in Switzerland and Finland and Sri Lanka and India uh, that was it's, really ramping up hard right when COVID hit. well it's I, it, it's so weird because it's always that Ed, you know like hey man I'm in a band but we look we're real big in India you know like you, may, you haven't heard of us here but we're like we're big in India you know it's like yeah. it's always a joke you're like yeah I've never heard of you it's like it's like it's like the guys from Manowar it's like Joey and all those guys it's like oh yeah, yeah. and Eric like they could walk into a place I mean in Auburn they're known but they could walk around Syracuse and like who's that and they're like that's guys from Manowar and like who's Manowar they're like they played at like 60,000 people last week in Finland, you know, <laughs> Exactly. you know, man. so like you've exactly. become one of those things. And that's, it's, I mean, I hate to say this and I don't want to pigeonhole like Americans, but America, like dude, Americans got to realize there's a whole other world out there, you know, that we don't know about that you can thrive in, you know, like that's exactly where you're at, you know, like, yeah, man, we are very America centric over here. Yeah. And, and, you, and you don't even realize it. Until you're not here. Exactly. First time yeah. I was, I ever was not an American. We played in the UK and that was really, I think the eye opener. I've been told that, but then when you got there and you had some perspective on like how people view you when you're not in your own country and it wasn't bad, yeah. but you just realized like, man, we are so, we are so self-centered and it's, be, it's unbelievable. It's like the oh, world yeah. does not a revolve. I mean, in some ways, yes, the world revolves around us because we're freaking shit show but you know like uh for yeah. the most part you know like man there's whole other life's going on and people don't care about what's going on here they just yeah. want to hear music but how cool is it if, if you go to some of these developing nations too which i've been to quite a few um you realize how good we have it yes and you come home you're kind of desensitized to everything you come home and everybody's complaining about this and that in america <laughs> And I don't care which side of the political spectrum you're on. I mean, right. So many of us complain about how tough it is and how broken the whole country is and we need to fix it and, oh, it's so terrible and they're all up in arms. <laughs> I tell you what, you go to go to Sri Lanka, <laughs> right. hang out for four or five days and then come home and then tell me that all over again. <laughs> right. Tell me how bad we, you really have it, okay? You, what you realize is the worst that you could possibly have it in America is the very best that so much of the population of this earth could ever hope for. Yeah. And they don't have. Yeah. So man, we, we got it going on. We, we do. I'm grateful for that. And I mean, that was an eye opener for me. Not so much. We never got to go to places like that, but 
that really opened my eyes. And then I'm a huge Henry Rollins fan. I listened to, you know, I've been, oh, hell yeah. I've been going to watch his like spoken word for years. And one of the years I went and watched, it was in he, he, all he did was talk about that Rollins band. It was that one record that kind of got big when he had that single that got big on MTV. And he was like, I'm going to yeah. talk about what happened after that. And then the entire touring process. And he talked about going to all these different nations around the world and being in Rio. And it's like, you're in this beautiful beaches of Rio, but once you leave the beaches of Rio and you go out and what Rio de Janeiro is really about. And in between those cities, he's like, man, he goes, I just wanted to get home. He goes like, it's, he goes, it's bad. He goes like, we, just have to be very thankful for what we have here. And this was, you know, 20 years ago when I saw this. So it was just interesting, yeah. but you know, but it's also great to see, here's the one thing like performing in the United States and performing elsewhere in the world. Again, Americans are so spoiled that, that they don't, I don't think they appreciate it as much when you go to other places in the world and you play music for them and you just see them just freak it out and just losing their minds, watching the music and getting into it and feeling the music. And they don't care about the people around them. They're just going to have their experience where here's like, well, I don't want to yeah. jump up and down. My buddy might think it's not cool or something like that. But, <laughs> and around the world, that's not the case, man. Like, it's, No, that's so true, man. Here, here, everybody's like, impress me. Yes. Go ahead. <laughs> yes. And over there, man, you could, you can even have a bad show and they just love you yeah. for being there. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, they're thankful. And it's like, what, what a great experience that you, you've had and, and all started with just some kind of like, you know, crazy record that you just were like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember doing that record and then look what happened. And like, this is, this is later in your career. This isn't like, Hey, I'm just a new spring chicken. You know, this is like you're right. in your forties right. when this happened, Yeah, you know? So, but I mean, let's, let's go back. I mean, when I first met you in person, I believe the first time I ever met you in person, you were up here in Syracuse visiting my best friend, Stacy Waterman. And you were, yeah. with, you were with your, with your, your, your duo partner and your, your partner in crime on a lot of things, John West, who I eventually want to have John on because John's got a hell of a career as well. Um, yep. but that was the first time I had met you guys. And then the first time I had heard of you guys is that I played with a guy in my band, Elephant Mountain, who was in 10 man push with you and and John by the name right. of D D Dave yeah. Hoyt. So that was like how I kind of got hip to who you guys were. Cause I'm, I didn't know Dave and he's like, yeah, I played in this band tempo MM push and John West and Lonnie Park. I'm like, well, who are they? And then I started going the rabbit hole. And then I'm like, oh my God, John West. I remember John because I was a huge, you know, Badlands fan. I'm like, he replaced, you know, Ray Gillen. Oh, yeah, Gillen. You know, and I'm like, Jesus, <laughs> what what shoes yeah. to fill? Like, I want to talk to John like that. I'm like, holy shit, that like badass singer. Like, I gotta be replaced that guy. But like, so that's how I remember you guys. So like you and John have had a career together on a lot of levels between the projects that he's had, you guys had 10 man push together and other stuff. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that goes way back as well. You guys both grew, grow up together. Did you meet when you were adults? Actually, the first, first time I met John, um, he was playing at a place called Captain Joe's reef in Ithaca mm -hmm. and it was a rock bar. And I, I was just in there underage. I snuck in and, his band was playing and I saw him play and I was just like, wow, this guy's unbelievable. I've never seen anybody sing like this around here. Right. And that later on led to, you know, me reaching out to him and then him reaching out to me and um, asking if I wanted to be in a band he was starting. So we played in a band in 1990. This is going back a ways. 
um, together that was the first thing that we had done together. And we've essentially worked in some capacity together nonstop since then. And I worked on, I don't know, 40 some albums with him. He, he was, did you say, for, did you say 40? Yeah. It's, Jesus, he'll tell you how many. That is insane done, to think about like 40 records. I've worked on 40 records with John, just with John. That's awesome, man. But yeah. I mean, well, I mean, he's talking a long span of time too. Right. Um, so he, he's a, he was a singer and is a singer singer. You know, he's just, yeah. he is world-class. When you talk about hard rock, heavy metal singers, there was a time where there was the top 10 and he was oh, absolutely. at some position in there all the time. As a matter of fact, Burn Magazine had him at number one at one point over some of the greatest in history. And uh, so anyway, working with him since I was 18, 19 years old, I didn't even try to be a lead singer. <laughs> how can you? <laughs> Why would how I? can you next to that dude? Is like, yeah, yeah like, this guy. So I didn't know? even think about it until later in my career when I'm, you know, I, I'd always sung and sung harmonies because of where I came from in church and everything. But, um, and I did all of John's big choir backgrounds for all these metal records and progressive metal records. And I was constantly singing, but never lead until um, 10 man push. It, I had done a lot of lead stuff for demo singing and, and writing and various commercials and things like that. But, you know, having John West around was really intimidating if you want to be a lead singer. Yeah. But, so uh, the but also thing happened late for me. Yeah. But at least it, it one, it gave you something to strive for. And it also kept your ego probably in check real quick. It's like, yeah, it's like whatever, <laughs> yeah, but the, here's this dude. It can like literally can replace anybody in the world. You know, I mean, I've seen yeah. a video of John singing highway star on, you know, with that, the group that he plays with over in like England or whatever, right? Like the all-star yeah. band. And I mean, yeah. dude, anybody listens to highway star by deep purple. And I mean, he nails it. And I'm just like, Pfft. I mean, I consider oh, yeah. myself a good singer, but I'm like, I couldn't do that. Nope. Yeah, <laughs> you man. know, that's freaking awesome. But what? A and so, you know, for 30 years, I was singing harmonies to him constantly. And when you sing a, a, a really well done harmony, you have to match them lick for lick for lick. Yeah. All the way through these sections. So, you know, I pretty much went to John West school of singing, <laughs> <laughs> learning his, his deliveries and his licks and all that. Not, because I wanted to take over, but because I had to sing all these things with him. And so subliminally, I, I learned a lot just from working with him. It kind of was like boot camp for being a singer. It is. I mean, that's the one thing I tell everybody, like I go, when you're in this business, always be a, be a student and every, even when you're sitting with somebody, you don't even think you like, even if it's somebody at the record label at a &R or a booking agent, or a studio guy, like pay attention, man, because there is a lesson to be learned at every moment, whether it's a moment that's literally, you know, a half an hour or over 30 years, there's always constant ways to keep learning and getting yourself better. And that's exactly what you did along with John. Yeah, man. And uh, I was just telling somebody yesterday, every single day I'm still learning. Yeah. And, you know, I, I can listen to something I did a year ago and find everything that's wrong with it. And <laughs> I've been trying to fix it for a year and, you know, it, you're it's never, so much better. But you're never going to, now it'll be better. But you know, yeah. you're never going to be able to fix that. <laughs> no, no. Like we can't, we can't fix it. Like every time I listen to something like, oh, oh, and some records are, you know, worse than others. But, you know, everyone's like, that sounds great. I'm like, I, I go, I don't listen to it the same way as you do, you know. 
Yeah. I mean, well, Joe, I mean, I think that that's an artist thing. I just watched the documentary on David Foster and he, he said something oh, yes. that I swear he was talking for me when he said, you know, like on Mondays and Wednesdays, I feel like I'm brilliant and I'm taking over the world. And on, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I feel like I'm a complete fraud and I'm terrible at what I do and I'm a failure. And, and then on Friday, I kind of pull it together and <laughs> by Monday, I'm starting over again. And That's a great documentary. It, that is an amazing yeah. documentary. I watched that and some people, I told people like, you got to watch the David Foster documentary. And some people are like, who? I'm like, listen, you know who he is. You've listened. This dude has more yeah. Grammy nominations than anybody ever in Grammy Awards. I'm like, I didn't go. And you watch the documentary, and you're like, wow, this guy's kind of a prick. But it's like, all right, yeah. well, he 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 kind of can be because he's David Foster. But yeah, he says some really brilliant stuff in there. And I remember him saying that, you know. So yeah, so what's he's, made he's him? he's incredible, and I just really appreciated his perspective because as artists we look up to guys that are highly visible like that and have huge success. And, and we see ourselves as failures every other day. And, um, you know, we're just terrible at what we do and trying to figure out what to do next. And have we made the wrong choice with our lives? And, and then you see somebody like David Foster actually come out and go, Oh yeah, man, I feel like that every day. It, it kind of resets the rest of us on the rails to yeah. go, okay, we're normal. Yeah. It's, a, keep it's moving, okay. Keep moving. Even this guy who's literally probably sold like, I, what did they say? How many records has he been a part of? Like a half a billion sold yeah, or something. So, like it's literally insane. 500 million records that David yeah. Foster has been involved in. I'm like, dude, it's insane. So, so let's switch gears for a second. Um, so the past year, you know, obviously performance has been, you know, pretty much zilch to none or a little bit here and there, you know, just local stuff like that. So like, you've probably freaked out for a little bit, like the rest of us, right? You kind of were like, Oh my God, what is going to happen? And then you probably fell into some kind of new endeavor and you probably got more creative than you ever have been or what happened in the past year in that regards? Well, I, I didn't actually freak out. I, as much as I love touring and seeing the world and all that, I, I've also had a career where things change and they change quickly sometimes. And again, as we discussed earlier, adaptation. Yes. You, you got to learn to roll with it. So don't waste your energy, energy on feeling sorry for yourself. Look at what cards you're in your hand and start playing them. And so that's what we did. Um, and I say we is because there's this huge team of collaborators that I'm working with every day now. And um, one of the things that we had done, uh, there's a children's album which has a long story behind it, but we worked with the United Nations to develop children's music for the education system. And it's now in, um, in some of these developing nations, it's in over 5 million textbooks. So over 5 million kids per year, you know, which multiplies every year are learning these songs, which are really helpful as far as, you know, issues of race inequality and poverty and, uh, conservation and all the uh, really important topics with really fun songs. So anyway, we had done this album and it had some success and um, all the money went to UNICEF and, and we're working with UNICEF to do it. And then UNICEF, when COVID hit, UNICEF is like, man, there's all these kids that are sitting at home. They're locked down. They have uh, very little content to work with. They're not learning as much as they would like to. And we need also to raise money to help the kids in the most vulnerable parts of the world because, 
you know, these families were, were getting their food every single day. Everybody would go off and work. They would buy the food for the day, come home and everybody would eat. When COVID hit, they couldn't go to work, which meant immediately like day two, there's no food. No food. They're, they're literally, so, some people that pay paycheck to paycheck, these people are living literally hour by hour. Yeah. You know? Yes. And that's a real thing. We're talking about millions of people in parts of the world we can't even name. And so UNICEF approached us since we had worked with them and said, you know, what can we do for this? And so there, there again, here we are at home. What do we do? So we developed a virtual concert, which was a fundraiser. It ended up getting aired in over 72 countries and 25 million viewers and growing. And so it was a real big success. And a lot of people came on board, including um, Baba Mall, who was the singer from the soundtrack of the uh, Black Panther. Like, so he's a huge Senegalese star and a few other Grammy winners of uh, children's music. And, you know, that's an example of how we just went, what cards do we have in our hand? And what's the need and where's, what door are we going to run through? And there's one opened up and we just went running through. That's cool. And uh, so that's, that's one thing, you know, and then of course, every musician in the world sat at home going, what do I do now? And <laughs> most of them answered the question, well, I've always wanted to make this one particular record and yeah. they make it, <laughs> which what... means that all my studio business blew up <laughs> right. and I do everything yeah. Virtually for the most part, you yeah. know, I mean, it that, doesn't that, matter where in the world you are. Yeah. That's crazy. Like back in the day you had to like, well, if you want to record with me, you got to come here, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or, yeah. or like, okay, we're going to record in, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then we're going to have to mail these tapes and hope that they don't get screwed up in FedEx or anything like that. And yeah. the tapes get there yeah. and then we hope they didn't like, they got wound up correctly and, and not damaged. And you go through all that. And then eventually you could start sending stuff digitally or you could mail a hard drive. Now yeah. you can just literally, I mean, the guy I collaborated with, with my last record that I put out last year, he lives across town, but like even him, I was just sending him my stuff like every day. I'm like, here, you know, and it was literally put it in Dropbox or put it in OneDrive or Google Drive and literally sending yep. entire sessions over there. And then he pops it up. And even I did that with a, a this project that I've been working off and on with called um, uh, Studio Jams. It was like last week I they got released a um, the Benny Mardonis um, tribute that I did. And but awesome. in this past year, I've collaborated with more of them, those people that are all over the country just yep. by being at home, doing my own recording, sending it off to some guy in Nashville and he mixes it. So it's like, I think yep. when we get on to the other side of this, there's just going to be this explosion of like, all right, well, what's the music musicians been doing? It's like, now you're going to get this floodgate of music. Yes. Yes. On the well, other it's definitely side. already happening. I think. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But it's, <clears throat> it's also forced us to be able to go into a whole other realm, you know, like, I mean, my, my world inside of Twitch has just been, it, it's, revolutionized my entire business on there, you know, to the point where I may never play. I'm never playing 300 shows a year again. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with that. If I play 75 at this point, and my, that'll be a busy year at this point, which is fine with me. Cause as you know, man, Isn't you get great? older, it's like, dude, I love playing these shows and banging, you know, banging out and just, dude, it just, it get, it wears on you. You know, I want to be home. I like my, I like being in my studio, you know, like, yeah. learning more about my studio. So 
John and I were doing 250 plus shows a year as well yeah. at one point. Oh. I think it was for like a four year stretch. And, Dude. and like you said, it's, it's great, but it wears you out. Yeah. I was like when COVID hit, I freaked out for a minute just because I'm like, Oh crap. You know, like, am I financially ready for this? You know? And, uh, my accountant, you know, reassured me like, don't worry about anything. I got you. And I get this amazing accountant that I just don't, because if you leave me with my own money, it's like, it's going to be bad. Like I'm going to do <laughs> bad things with it. So if I got someone else to kind of like watching over it, like she took care of me. And once she gave me that peace of mind, she's like, why don't you just like, what have you been wanting to do? You've been talking about, you want to steer your business into a different realm. Like, well, here's your opportunity. I'll make sure that you have plenty of time and money to do it. Just do it. You know, yep. and, and that's exactly what I did. And I, I, I shape shifted into a point where like now that's coming back and it's like the older, um, business model still trying to suck me out. And like my mentality is like, yeah, I got to go out and play, play, play. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. I don't have to wait, wait. I don't have to do that. Right. I right. just spent this time doing this. So it's, it's. Well, and I think if you look at the market, for example, you know, if you're going to go out and play gigs, um, around New York you know exactly what the max amount you can potentially make is. Right. And you know the energy it takes. Right. Now, if you, if you look at the other things, you've, COVID has helped you adapt to a whole other business model. All of a sudden, that ceiling just went right through the roof instead yeah. of being capped. So, you know, again, that's those doors that open, man. You got to run through yeah. them and you got to maximize them and you got to, avoid those temptations of running through the old doors. That, yeah. You know. Well, it's, it's, it's a comfort thing. And it's something that, you know, that paved the way to get me to here. And it's like, okay, I don't have to take that thing. because, you know, I tell everybody, I'm like, well, listen, dude, I'm almost 50 years old. You're in your fifties. It's like, how long can we be the guy in the corner of the bar? No offense to some of my guys that are still doing it. It's like, man, but you're, right. you're, you're going to out, you're going to just be the old dude in the corner and you're going to be, those people that are out at nine, 10 o'clock at night, they don't want to hear you playing, you know, the old tunes. They're like, well, my grandparents listen to that music, you know, like you're right. literally getting that old. So it's like, okay, I still want to be a working musician. How do I adapt? And you know, and that's really what it is. So, yeah. so let's, let's talk about like your, your, all right. What was, what do you think, who's the biggest rock star that you've like, that you worked with and you're like, oh my God, I can't fucking believe I'm working with this guy right now. The, the, what's the moment is that? I got, I got a few kind of weird, they're all weird stories too. Okay. Like, they're all, they're always, they're working. always weird. They're always weird. And that's the yeah. best part of it. You know, <laughs> you know, like being in the studio with Merle Haggard, there's one you can't plan. Wow. Um, you know, co-writing a song with Bernie, Bernie Toppin. <laughs> that's Did, one. I and it's, and it's moments plan. like that. You're like, it's like, um, I can't remember what, no, no, no. It was, it was in that movie, that thing you do. And they're like ready to like, he's like, he turns around at his drummer and he's like, how did we get here? <laughs> like, how did we get here? <laughs> like, that's, it's, it's such a small thing. And it's like, what does he mean? It's like, no, you're having those moments with Merle Haggard and Bernie Thompson going, how did, how did yeah. I get here? <laughs> like, right, sure, I'm right. supposed to be here, but yeah, keep going. I want to hear some more. Oh yeah. I mean. One of the great things about all these moments is that because of the state of the, the music industry, unless you become a super, superstar, um, you get, you know, it's like you end up on this bus, so to speak, this really cool ride, but then eventually they circle back and drop you off at home. <laughs> <laughs> so that, I mean, that's, 
that I, I remember playing to with Ten Man Push. We played a show. There were eight thousand people, and it was a killer show. And it was one of those, you know, as a front man, you know, you get crowds like that that are just so into it. Yeah, it's, you get that rock and roll Simon Says game going, and you know, let me hear you scream, and eight thousand people scream. <laughs> um, and then literally the next day. John and I played one of those pub gigs in the corner of the room and there was like two or three tables of people there. And one of the tables specifically had the bartender come up to us and ask us to turn down. And you know what I'm talking about? Just again, the bus dropped us off in reality. Again, you know? Yeah. I have, I have oh, a good, yeah. Yeah. I have a good friend of mine who's in Charlotte and man, he lives in Charlotte and he's, he's same like as us, man. He's just been a musician all his life. He's been multi genres and he still is to this day. And, um, he was in a band for a while called Wednesday 13. Wednesday was in a band called murder dolls with Joey Jordison from Slipknot. So, He was the bass player in Wednesday 13 and he's like, yeah, man, he goes, we did this like run with Motley Crue in Europe and like and play in front of like 70, 80,000 people. And he goes, as soon as I got off the plane, I had to go play the chicken wing bar down the street. I had to tuck my dreadlocks up in my hair, you know, because they didn't want that because he lives in South Carolina and he goes, they'll freaking lynch me if I have them out. So and the next thing you know, I'm in there playing, you know, Merle Haggard songs for, you know, a hundred bucks and some chicken wings. Yep. And he's like, wait yep. a minute, what, wait a minute. I was just, opening for Motley Crue and you guys don't even know. And they're like, whatever. But that's, that's how, that's how you make that's a living. Right, and that's how you make a living in this business. I think that's a and good, you got to embrace it. You oh, can't yeah. let it get to you. Yeah. And you can't let the highs get to you either. Don't no. get too full of yourself when you no. played it. You know, no. 80,000 people for, no. forget about it. Man. Ab- Just absolutely. enjoy the ride. Like my, the same friend, him and I were having a conversation the other day and he was playing a gig at a, like a, an American Legion hall. And he's yep. like, man, this is the place where, you know, 20, 30 years ago, this is where my, my my career started and he's like kind of feeling down man i'm smelling all the smells and you know and you know, he was kind, kind of having a down moment i'm like dude give me a call and he gives me a call and i'm like man i go dude you've come full circle like this is awesome like you've gone back and he's like yeah he goes man it's just it's a weird circle i go but you're still in the circle aren't you he goes yeah yeah i am still yeah, in the man. circle i go look at it that way and it was like all you got to look at is a diff- with some different glasses on. And that's all we have to do, no matter if we're playing to eight people or 80,000 people, man, as long as we're still sitting here making music and doing what we love. And, you know, one of the biggest rewards of the music industry is people appreciating you. And when you, you know, it's nice when 80,000 appreciate you and they're all screaming back. But there's also that really, really special moment when you end up back in the VFW and that person that saw you back in the day, they're like, they'll come up to you and say, we paid attention to what you've been doing and we're we're proud of you. And, you know, those are the moments where you go, all right, man, I I, I picked the right route. Even though it's, it doesn't, nothing ever is exactly like you picture it. No, (laughs) it's, it always is some alternate version or redirected version, but, if we're actually able to make a living playing music in any shape or form, we're just lucky. Yeah, That's- we are. We're lucky. And, and even the days where I'm like stressing about all these things, like I got up this morning and I'm like, 
I had to mail out like I had this big birthday stream on Twitch the other night and and uh it was my one year anniversary and like I made more in that one night than I've ever made in one night in my entire life. Fantastic. Like just like a exponentially more. And I'm just like, oh my God, I just did that in one night. So I had to sit down and like today, like mail out all these rewards, like all these people that helped, you know, I'm like, Hey, if you do this, then I'm going to mail this out. And I'm, I sat here this morning, yeah. like, you know, putting all these packages together, ready to go out in the mail. I'm like, man, how cool is this? And I'm looking at all the addresses and they're all over the country, all over the world. I have some going to like Germany and Austria. And I'm like, this is something that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for COVID, you know, like if I, yeah. if COVID didn't happen, I'd still be like running to Jake's grub and grog this week to play my, you know, Wednesday gig, you know? Yeah. And I go, now and you know, that's, there's the difference right there. That's like the difference between the Chris Stapleton type artist and the people that tend to not move as much. It could be fear. It could be all kinds of things, but when bad things happen or when major shifts change, you just got to embrace it and you yep. just go, what opportunity is in there? Yep. And for you, you just, I mean, that's brilliant, man. You just took something that theoretically could have put you completely out of business for a <laughs> solid year. And yeah. instead you turned it into a much better business. Yeah, it is. And there and, you go. And that's how you do it. That's what exactly what it is. I think that's a good way to, to wrap up. Cause you and I could sit here and rap all day long and stuff, but, uh, yeah. And, and I'm yeah. writing some stuff. And like the other day I was like, man, I've written and produced my own things for a couple of years. I go, it's time to get into somebody else's studio. And I'm like, I should probably go record with Lonnie. So I think, Dude. I think it's something that has to be done this year. Even if it's just two songs, we got to do something. Yeah. Together, so. Well, we'll start with one and you got it. We, we got to work together. Yeah, I totally. I feel like you, you've been on a very similar path. We both played the same cover songs. We both been in, <laughs> original touring rock bands that had success. We, we've both done so many of the, the same things. Yeah. We got to work together. We, That's let's, let's, what I'm thinking. Let's do that. Lonnie, but I'll, I'll let you get back to making music. That'll be big in Sri Lanka later on this year. <laughs> but man, I really appreciate you being on board and, uh, man, we'll be chatting real soon. All right, man. All right. Thanks all so right. much, brother. Thanks. Sir. Isn't it crazy? The business that we live in, you know, this music business that, Lonnie and I were just talking about it is um, when I started out in this business, I did not ever expect to be where I am now. That doesn't mean I'm disappointed to where I am now because the goal I had when I was, you know, in my twenties is completely different than what my goal is now, but I am not dissatisfied one bit. Part of what I love about the music business and what I've done in my career is the journey that it's taken me on. And to to, to talk with somebody like Lonnie and like you would not, Lonnie could walk into your restaurant, to your store could be within your presence and you wouldn't even know who he is, but he's had this amazing, illustrious career that's worked. I mean, you've heard some of the names. It was amazing to have him on. I'm looking forward to working with him. I'm looking forward to having his, his partner in crime, John West on here because John is unbelievable singer. So if you get a chance to look that up, Look him up. Lonnie, thank you so much. Uh, we'll be back next week. I don't know who's going to be on next week. I got so many artists and different people coming on. So I hope you tune in. And again, if you're looking to sponsor this, this is where your sponsor would land at the end of the uh, end of the, the episode. I, I talk it up. So if you guys are interested and know anybody that's interested, just to help out with the production costs and keep this thing going, because I really, really, really love doing this. So everybody, you be safe. Be great. Have a great week. Have a great day, whatever it may be. 
make it yours. All right. See you guys later.